Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all of your favorite sports, contests, and events. As the calendar turns to August, we have baseball in full swing and the return of football this month. Use our promo code believe 50 to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's B-L-E-A-V-5-0, BetOnline, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It easy podcast live on the believe podcast network except it isn't live because it is as always a podcast welcome in everybody it is august 2nd 2022 our 998th episode ever recorded here on the take it easy podcast and Today's episode is going to be all about the Deshaun Watson case. We have, after 18 months, essentially what will be a final verdict in regards to any sort of suspension or accountability from the NFL in regards to Deshaun Watson. Now, we've had the the legal precedent carry out over the past year and a half, and after Deshaun Watson settled 20 of his 24 lawsuits with women, who were pursuing some sort of damages through the civil court process. After Deshaun Watson settled 20 of the 24, the NFL concluded their investigation, went to arbitration with an independent arbiter, and now a month later we have a ruling that Deshaun Watson will be suspended for six games. The NFL has the ability to appeal that and take it to Roger Goodell, although it's still to be determined at the time of recording this whether or not the NFL will make such a decision. So we have the ruling. We knew going into this episode that the ruling was going to be out uh, by 6 a.m. on Monday West Coast time. So here on Tuesday, we're going to dive all the way into what is the penultimate decision from the NFL that has been culminating in NFL fans and, and NFL media for the past 18 months. And as we have done every time we have talked about the Deshaun Watson case, most recently of which, and we highlighted this yesterday, June 27th, 2022, we did a full podcast breaking down the disciplinary hearing with Deshaun Watson. On June 22nd, 2022, we did a podcast about the settlement and Deshaun Watson settling with 20 of the 24 women. Back on June 8th, we did a full podcast about the details from the New York Times report from Jenny Vrentas that, among new details, talked about how there were 67 massage therapists who were contacted by Watson within a 17-month span, something that went against his initial deposition with the court in Texas, and, of course, the involvement of the Houston Texans that, in the month since, has led to a settlement from Houston with 30 women who are pursuing lawsuits against them. And if you want to go back further, we did a full podcast on May 27th, 2022, as a summation of everything that's happened thus far in the Watson case. There are other podcasts, if you go back further, we did one in March, uh, recapping the, the whole saga. We did one following Deshaun Watson's trade to the Cleveland Browns. If you want to go back further to those, we've done at this point, over a dozen podcasts about this story with deep research and reporting from HBO Real Sports' Bryant Gumbel, which we highlighted on the May 27th episode that we talked about. And we've done a lot of studying and investigating, and it's actually helped thinking of this like a scientist has helped to improve my perspective when it comes to football and sports and their place in broader society, which is something I've always cared about, as well as how you handle cases of 
sexual assault and sexual crimes against women and how powerful people are able to get away with it in systems that enable them to do so. And so over the past 18 months, my perspective on this has changed dramatically and you can go back and listen to further episodes if you want to see the evolution, although I don't ask you to listen to 12 hours of me talking about Deshaun Watson over the past, shall we say, 18 months. And uh, I think I believe that was the first time that any accusation was levied against Deshaun Watson. So I don't expect you to listen to 12 hours of me talking about this and my evolution of following the Deshaun Watson case. But if you're looking for the most important ones, I would say those four that I mentioned, May 27th, June 8th, May, uh, June 22nd, and June 27th are the four podcasts that would best surmise everything that's gone on around this Watson case over the past 18 months. And the reporting that we've used to humanize this story as well, again, Real Sports with Brian Gumbel has done great reporting on this, Sports Illustrated, the New York Times have done great details to humanize this story and make sense of a legal process that can be incredibly complicated for people like myself who don't have full legal background and legal training. So with that being said, today's episode is going to be about the final verdict from Deshaun Watson and about him settling three of the other four cases that still remained open in court. And as we have done with all of these episodes talking about Deshaun Watson, I want to first begin by putting the NFL investigation and the NFL ruling to the side. And I also want to put the legal aspect and take it to the side right now. And what we first want to talk about is the moral and ethical concerns around Deshaun Watson's case. Because as I have tried to emphasize every time we have talked about this case, there are real victims and there are real people behind these stories. 22, 23, 24 sounds like a number. And in each of these individual cases, there have been incidents that lead to some form of sexually predatory behavior, sexual crimes, and making these women victims who have bravely come forward and are once again putting themselves through the victimhood of having all of this be legislated in the public because they are bringing accusations against a powerful person. And uh, as we talk about in a lot of these cases, the reason this is a public-facing case and the reason we know the names of Ashley Solis and Kyla Hayes and the 22 women who have brought accusations forward against Deshaun Watson and people who haven't filed lawsuits who have brought accusations forward against Watson in, in reporting like what was done by Sports Illustrated, the reason we know about these people is because of the perpetrator in Deshaun Watson being a famous football player and one of the six most famous football players in all of what is a 75 to 100 billion dollar industry of the NFL. And as we have done with most of these cases, I would like to begin by reading this timeline of the incidents alleged in the 23 lawsuits. This doesn't include the 24th lawsuit. I don't know the exact information about the 24th lawsuit. Of the 23 lawsuits, that were initially filed. Here is the timeline of events that we're talking about for these real victims, many of whom have brought their names public, many of whom are not. Ashley Solis, who we'll talk about more later on in this show, has been the front-facing person who many times on this podcast we've now played the clip of her at the initial press conference crying, detailing the, the incident that she had while working as a massage therapist with Deshaun Watson that left her crying as Deshaun Watson was leaving, as he masturbated and ejaculated all over her. So here's the timeline of incidents that are alleged and their locations in the 23 lawsuits. March 30th, 2020 at Plaintiff's Home in Texas. April 19th, 2020 at Houston Spa. May 28th, 2020, Watson's Home. June 2nd, 2020 at a Houston Spa. June 7th, 2020, August 24th, 2020, and in late August or early September 2020 with the same women at the New You Salon and Spa, which if you've read the reporting by Bryant Gumbel, the, or if you've watched the reporting by Bryant Gumbel, it was on a Real Sports HBO clip, which I encourage everyone to check out or listen to the, the recap of it on the May 27th podcast that we did. Um, New You Spa and Salon was a big enabler in a lot of Watson's predatory behavior. 
Next victim was June 2020 and August 17, 2020 at hotel and later spa in Houston. July 2020 as plaintiff's home in Houston. July 2020 in Arizona. Four sessions with the same victim between July 2020 and September 2020 in Texas. July 15, 2020 at a home in Beverly Hills, California. August 2, 2020 at a hotel in Houston. August 5, 2020, August 9, 2020 at Plaintiff's Apartment. August 28, 2020 at the Houstonian Hotel, Club, and Spa. September 2nd, 2020, and November 17th, 2020, with the same victim, at Watson's house. Multiple encounters between September 9th, 2020, and October 2020, at a Houston spa. September 4th, 2020, at a rented room in a Houston salon. Two sessions with the same victim, October 19th, and around November 2nd, 2020, at Plaintiff's office in Houston. October 8th, 2020, at Houston Spa. October 19th, 2020, at Plaintiff's Office in Houston. November 6th and 10th, 2020, at Plaintiff's Mother's House in Texas. November 9th, 2020, at Plaintiff's Office in Houston. December 8th, 2020, at a Houston office building. Sometime in 2020, January 21st, 2021, in Houston, and March 5th, 2021, at a massage therapy business in Sandy Springs, Georgia. On March 17, 2021, the first accusation was levied against Deshaun Watson, which was immediately followed by 17 more people bringing accusations in civil court against Deshaun Watson, which has now played out across the last five months. As Ashley, or across the last 15 months, excuse me. As Ashley Solis detailed on the Real Sports with Bryant Gumble episode, she talked about how she was viewed in the con and many of these massage therapists were viewed in the context of sex workers. Deshaun Watson reached out to them through Instagram and places and the Texans also had him rented that hotel where about four of the incidents took place in Houston. That was uncovered by Jenny Vrentas of the New York Times and Solis added in the piece, quote, I am not a sex worker. I am a massage therapist. For them to say that anything was consensual, either they don't realize or they don't care about the danger that puts me in. Because that gives the message to people that massage therapists do those kinds of things. And Kyla Hayes, who also is one of the victims, came forward in that piece saying, quote, she, well, she felt, quote, like he's being rewarded for bad behavior. For him to say he never did anything to a woman, it's a bold-faced lie. And... There are other details that are reported by Jenny Vrentas in Sports Illustrated and New York Times, including one woman who is not pursuing charges against Deshaun Watson that is named as Jane Doe. That was uncovered by Vrentas back in March of 2021. So this was a piece that was being conducted long before Deshaun Watson had accusations brought against him. It was just the lawsuit beginning to be filed by Ashley Solis as the first woman and the face of the lawsuit um, was the lawsuit she filed brought it to light before the initial reporting by Jenny Vrentas of Sports Illustrated and later working for the New York Times. So there, there are real victims in this case and there are real people who walk away from this feeling like they are being victimized all over again not just by the legal process, but by the civil court process. And ultimately, the NFL's punishment would serve as some form of accountability, hopefully. And I talked about yesterday, the thing that matters most important is that whatever punishment is handed down by the NFL and whatever punishment Sue L. Robinson, the independent arbiter, decided was worthy of of the the accusations that were levied against Watson. We'll talk more about the NFL's process in a second, but whatever accountability the NFL brought to Watson, I hoped that that would be something that would be some sort of closure and accountability for those women who brought accusations against Deshaun Watson, that the victims would have some form of accountability and closure from that decision, or as many of them as possible, and that's the only thing that matters, regardless of what I think should be levied as a punishment, regardless of what everyone thinks should be levied as a punishment, which we will talk about that later in the media coverage that has surrounded this story. Hopefully, 
whatever sort of accountability in a settlement and whatever sort of accountability from the NFL would be adequate to compensate those women and those victims for the trauma that they have endured as a result of Deshaun Watson's sexually predatory behavior. So that is the moral and ethical side of this issue, is that this is a higher standard than the law, that the criminal court could not bring charges against Deshaun Watson, which is not an exoneration. It's just a high bar to reach in the state of Texas of criminal sexual assault. And so Deshaun Watson's settlement with these women, the money represented some form of closure in that respect. So with that being said, talking about the moral and ethical issues, and I just started leading into the next part of the case is let's talk about the legal aspects of Deshaun Watson's case, because it's more important to talk about the legal aspects, which is now coming to a close, than it is to talk about the NFL investigation side of it. When it comes to the moral and ethical concerns blending into the legal court, this is where the difference comes in between the criminal prosecution and the civil prosecution, because in order to take away Deshaun Watson's rights and pursue an arrest on criminal sexual assault, the bar is much higher to reach uh, an indictment, and you have to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that Deshaun Watson committed such a crime. Very high bar to hit, and with good reason it's a very high bar to hit because, again, we're talking about taking away someone's rights. So it should be a high bar to reach there. Civil court suggests that a person is liable for damages, and for that it just has to be more probable than not. And in some cases, depending on the laws in certain places, like with Title IX investigations, it doesn't even have to be more probable than not. I believe the, the new Title IX laws that were passed by Betsy DeVos signify somewhere around 25% chance that someone is liable for damages in this case. Um, but again, it's a case-by-case -case basis. I'm not legally trained. Uh, I'm not going to pretend like I'm legally trained in those respects. So the civil case would ultimately prove to be some form or shape of damages. And from the very beginning, we knew that the civil court case was going to lead to Deshaun Watson settling with these women. Because when you pursue liability for damages in civil court, that's paid out through money. And it's paid out through some sort of financial compensation for the people who are pursuing a civil trial. And Deshaun Watson has infinite resources to spend. This was before Deshaun Watson had the new contract with the Cleveland Browns that helped restructure it such that he'll only lose $300,000 on a $250 million contract as a result of the NFL suspension. So even before that, Deshaun Watson had infinite resources to settle these cases with these women, and legal precedent would suggest that there were deals that would be beneficial to the women and serve as some form of representation of accountability. And whatever the money represented, which we don't know how much the money was, we'll talk in a second about what it could look like now that 23 of the 24 civil suits have been settled. Um, we have some form of accountability as a result of financial damages. And again, Deshaun Watson is rich and powerful. He has infinite resources to settle out these claims. So back on June 22nd, we had a settlement with Deshaun Watson and 20 of the 24 women who had brought charges against him. And four cases were continuing forward. And one of those cases was Ashley Solis, who was the person who began this whole case and made it public. And the thing that I said from the very beginning at that point is just because someone doesn't settle today means that they won't settle in the future. All it represents is that for 20 of the 24 women, the deal that was offered in, in conversations with lawyers and things of those sorts, the money that was offered represented some form of accountability and some form of closure for them in this case. And that doesn't mean that tomorrow the four people who settled don't agree to the same point. It just means that at that time, it wasn't enough for them to walk away from their lawsuit and put this case behind them. And so right before Deshaun Watson has his punishment with the NFL handed down, he settles three of the four cases that were still impending, including Ashley Solis, the person who has been the front face and leader of this for the two dozen women who have come behind her, whose names that we don't know and whose identities are protected 
because Ashley Solis has been the front-facing victim doing interviews with Real Sports and put and sitting in press conferences and revisiting her traumatic experiences. She has been a leader and bravely so in that case and she settles on Monday with Deshaun Watson and Rusty Harden who's the attorney for Deshaun Watson. So only one case remains unsettled and that essentially makes it that 96% of these cases are settled and won't go to a trial in 2023, which was part of the stipulation in regards to Watson having his lawsuit settled and then having the NFL move towards their version of an investigation, which we'll talk about in a second. So criminal charges against Watson, there were two counts of criminal sexual assault. There were not charges filed against him. the, The infractions that he had did not reach the bar of criminal sexual assault and it could not be proven in a court of law thus they were thrown out and Deshaun Watson was then traded to the Cleveland Browns and in the 24 civil cases they have now 23 of them have been settled for various dollar amounts of which we do not know about and the precedent that exists around this. I was reading about what legal precedent exists around these types of settlements. What we know in this case, according to Mike Florio, was that back in October of 2021, all of the women were offered $100,000 in order to settle their cases out of court. And at the time, 19 of the 23, there were only 23 pursuing lawsuits at the time, 19 of the 23 were willing to pursue charges or I'm sorry we're willing to accept the settlement from Watson and his attorney and one of the stipulations for the Miami Dolphins who were trying to trade for Watson at the time was you have to settle everyone's lawsuit if you're going to get the trade we'll live with the criminal investigation we'll live with the results of that but you have to settle all of the civil lawsuits at the time And so we know that 19 of the 23 women were willing to accept the $100,000 settlement back in October of 2021. We also know that the legal precedent relating to uh, investigations of institutions like UCLA, Ohio State, Michigan State, the University of Michigan, uh, USA Gymnastics, those types of investigations come out to about anywhere between $1 to $2 million per victim in those cases. And I don't think that this will levy that type of settlement because Deshaun Watson, as large of an institution as Deshaun Watson is, he is not to the level of these major higher institutions and universities. Therefore, it's more difficult to settle out these sexual assault claims. Um, One of the precedents that this website, it was a legal website, was discussing about this case was the incident with James Franco back in 2020 when he had an acting school and he and a bunch of people associated with the school molested a bunch of women and two brought lawsuits against him and they ultimately settled for about $2.2 million, which between the two women is about $1.1 million per woman. So that's the legal precedent that exists that Busby and the his attorney team, who Tony Busby's the lawyer representing the Deshaun Watson victims, that's what they had to work off of. And so wherever you put the dollar value at, somewhere between a hundred thousand dollars, somewhere else between a hundred thousand and a million dollars between the twenty-four lawsuits, you're looking at anywhere between ten million dollars and twenty million dollars in settlements for Deshaun Watson. And I don't know exactly that that's a wide gulf to work with. We just, again, there's non-disclosure agreements, the the settlements are going to remain private, and that is part of the condition of settling, is that there is non-disclosure agreements and privacy agreements from the Watson side. That's something that is probably non-negotiable in the Deshaun Watson case, because they want to frame these settlements as this is not an admission of guilt, which, by the way, is exactly what the Houston Texans did when they settled with 30 women who were suing them for negligence around Deshaun Watson's sexual assault and sexually predatory behavior, alleged sexual assault, and confirmed sexually predatory behavior. And so Deshaun Watson has settlements that range somewhere between $10 to $20 million 
with the 24 women, well, now 23 of the 24 women, and that essentially concludes his legal case because the statute of limitation for civil lawsuits in the state of Texas is two years. And if you're doing the calculation, the first lawsuits were brought up against him in March of 2021. So by the time you get to March of 2023, assuming Watson hasn't engaged in any more behavior, there won't be lawsuits that are brought against him. And therefore, the statute of limitation will pass and Deshaun Watson won't have any more legal convictions in regards to his uh, massage therapy, sexually predatory behavior in massage therapy settings. And Deshaun Watson has paid out somewhere between $10 million and $20 million in settlements now at the end of, I mean, what is now essentially the end of his legal process after 18 months. And so... Now you have the settlements for the women, which this then leads back into the moral and ethical side of things, which is something we talked about a lot with the settlement back on June 22nd, is just because someone settles does not mean that they are giving up the fight. It means that whatever they were going to get is a deal that they had to take and they felt was some measure of accountability and some measure of closure. And the, the final settlements in that case were likely higher dollar values than the initial settlements. I'm just guessing based on the fact that they didn't settle back in June and there was a higher incentive now for Watson to settle, granted that they were headed towards an NFL ruling and they were headed towards training camp opening up for the Cleveland Browns. That does not mean that the person gave up the fight or the person had bad intentions, it meant that the money now represents a form of accountability and a form of closure. And that's an important thing to focus in on when talking about the moral and ethical concerns is that settlements do not represent a person's intent or a person's guilt. It just means that it was a decision that for, that to them was a form of accountability and closure for the accusations and the trauma that was brought upon them by this sexually predatory, this sexual predator in the case of Deshaun Watson. And that is essentially where Deshaun Watson's legal case stands. He's now paid out anywhere between 10, based on precedent, we don't know the exact numbers, he's paid out anywhere between 10 and $20 million in settlements, and he is going to no longer have any more uh, lawsuits brought against him. There's only the one case left. If it continues to be pursued, that one case will have a hearing in 2023 where Deshaun Watson will probably testify in that case. Although, again, the one case doesn't hold the same merit as what the 24 initially were. And from the very beginning, this was the ultimate conclusion that we are going to reach because, again, Deshaun Watson has infinite resources. It's much easier for him to pay 20 million dollars or 10 to 20 million dollars than it is for him to continue to drag out this process and allow him to not continue earning money through the NFL. And when someone has infinite resources to pay out, uh, it's better to make it go away and settle for, I mean, in the case of the University of Michigan, $450 million for decades of ignoring sexual abuse within their university, or the University of Penn State paying out $300 million, or in the case of Deshaun Watson, who has infinite resources, uh, between 10 to $20 million, although not to the same level of infinite resources as major higher institutions in the United States. So that concludes Deshaun Watson's legal process. Now we're going to take in the NFL side of this issue. So we're going to bring in the National Football League and their form of punishment. And the reason that we don't have them included in the legal case is this important point. And I'm going to emphasize this incredibly strongly on the front end before we talk about this NFL stuff. The NFL is not a legal institution. The NFL is not a legal institution. They are trying to operate within the confines of a legal institution. They make the rules. They do not have subpoena power. They, do, they cannot force people to testify. They cannot force people to partake in their investigation. The NFL is not a legal entity. 
This has nothing to do with the legal process. The NFL is not its own legal entity. Okay. Got to put that out on the front end. The NFL makes up the rules as they go. They, um, they are now collectively bargained. However, back in 2014, when the Ray Rice case resulted in a two-game suspension with the video of Ray Rice beating up his wife in an elevator, you have that leading to a public outcry, the NFL double suspending Ray Rice and Ray Rice never playing another game in the NFL. And after that, the NFL created their personal conduct policy. Roger Goodell had total ruling over the personal conduct policy. This is what led to Tom Brady getting suspended for four games. This is what led to Ezekiel Elliott getting suspended for six games, despite the fact that there were no charges filed against Ezekiel Elliott. This is where the NFL has had universal ruling on the personal conduct policy. And then in 2021, in the new collective bargaining agreement, the NFL introduced an independent arbiter into the process. And the NFL and the NFLPA both agreed on Sue L. Robinson, who's a former judge in, I, I, I think it was Delaware, but she was appointed by President Bush back in the 1990s and now in in a sort of retirement job is the independent arbiter for the legal processes of the NFL, which again is not a legal institution. She just oversees the the processes of punishment for the NFL that tries to operate like a legal institution based on a rule or a rule of law that is the personal conduct policy, which is their right to have because the NFL is a corporation. People sign contracts when they join the NFL. They condone to the personal conduct policy. Players and general managers condone to the personal conduct policy. Owners do not condone to the personal conduct policy. But employees of the NFL condone to the personal conduct policy. So with that, the NFL wants to operate more like a legal institution. And so the initial ruling, if, if the NFL and the NFL Players Association cannot come to a compromise in the past when they couldn't come to a compromise, Roger Goodell got to make the final ruling, which essentially disincentivizes the NFL from compromising. There's no reason for the NFL to compromise. They have all the leverage because Roger Goodell is the independent arbiter and Roger Goodell, or sorry, Roger Goodell is the arbiter, but Roger Goodell works for the owners. Therefore, if, if, if you can't come to a compromise, leverage goes to the NFL owners and the NFL owners get to make the decision. So they then introduced a neutral arbiter as part of the latest round of collective bargaining agreement, part because the NFL players wanted more power in these decision makings in part because the NFL didn't want Roger Goodell to be the total independent or sorry the total arbiter of these cases anymore they didn't want Tom Brady getting suspended four games they didn't want Ezekiel Elliott getting six game suspensions where in the past the NFL overpunished on everything because the NFL didn't want the image of players in the league misbehaving, deterring the dollar values of the sport, which then leads to Colin Kaepernick getting blackballed for the sport for kneeling for the anthem, despite the fact that there was no precedent for Colin Kaepernick serving any kind of punishment and the NFL owners colluding to keep him out of the sport. So it goes to that, but you can also point to Ray Rice getting double suspended and banned from the league. Uh, you could point to the precedent that Sue L. Robinson is going to cite in this case involves the Tom Brady deflate gate suspension, the bounty gate suspension, um, cases that have happened in the time after. But this is the first time that they've had to go to an independent arbiter in the last two years because they negotiated this back in 2020, back at the very beginning of the pandemic when they negotiated the new collective bargaining agreement and... Part of that was we have an independent arbiter, they're going to rule on suspensions, and if there's an appeal, Roger Goodell gets to hear the appeals process, which still gives power to the NFL. The NFL can say, ah, if we lose a case, we can go to the appeals process, and Roger Goodell can hand down a stricter punishment based on whatever we deem to be the case because Roger Goodell works for the owners. So there's still a back-channel way for the NFL owners and, and the NFL to win these types of appeals processes and, and these types of punishment processes, but ultimately 
It starts with an independent arbiter. The whole process goes through an independent arbiter. And again, this is the first time they've had this case come down. This is the first time they've had a an independent arbiter ruling on behalf of the uh, on the behalf of any case. And the first one happens to be a sports story for a generation and the probably strictest most unprecedented punishment that they're ever going to see for a high-profile player like Deshaun Watson. And so Suell Robinson, or sorry, after, let's go back a little bit. So after Deshaun Watson settled 20 of the 24 cases on June 22nd, the NFL released a statement that said, the investigation will not be impacted at all by the decision of Deshaun Watson to settle with these women. And then four days later, they went to the arbitration process. Four days later, concluded their investigation, went to the arbitration process. It's reported the NFL wanted to have this all done by the time that training camp rolled around. And this is a continued part of this case is that the NFL, and Tony Busby quoted this in the Real Sports with Bryant Gumbel piece, the NFL felt like they had to investigate, not that they wanted to investigate. The reason that Tony Busby and a number of women who the NFL had reached out to for their investigations, they stopped cooperating with the NFL because the NFL's tactics of interviewing could be viewed as victim blaming and the NFL was very hostile to these women, asking really sexist questions to them. There's reporting that's been done about this, and the NFL was doing an, a, an investigation where they felt like they had to, which essentially, I'm going to call it from this point forward, a sham investigation. Because if you're not actually trying to investigate to learn the truth, it's a sham investigation. The NFL also didn't need to do a further investigation they already had the information available in the legal process to at least start with. But the NFL began their own process. Busby and the women stopped cooperating with them when they felt like this was a victim-blaming situation and the NFL felt like they had to do the investigation instead of actually wanting to pursue the truth. And so as a result, the NFL went into the disciplinary process with Sue L. Robinson with only 11, or I think it was 10 testimonies from people who either were pursuing lawsuits against Watson or were not pursuing lawsuits against Watson. We have 24 who came forward in lawsuits. It's technically 25 because one woman dropped her lawsuit after her name had to go public. So 25 women filed lawsuits against Deshaun Watson. And according to reporting that was done by Jenny Vrentas in June of 2022, 67 women were contacted in some shape or form by Deshaun Watson in the period of 17 months in which all of this was in question. And 30 women were uh, settled with the Houston Texans when the Houston Texans were part of the lawsuit. So there are 30 women who brought lawsuits against either the Texans or Watson himself. And there's more people who we know could have been interviewed because they were interviewed by Jenny Vrentas of the New York Times, who was doing actual reporting around this case. So we know that there are well more than 10 people whom the NFL spoke to in their investigation. But as soon as Busby uh, and, and the women stopped cooperating with the case, they decided, well, we've done all we can. They stopped cooperating. Okay, we're not investigating anymore. So as soon as Watson settled, they closed the investigation four days later and sent the findings to Sue L. Robinson for arbitration. And... Over those three days of arbitration, it was decided that only four of the testimonies from women who actually spoke to NFL investigators would be used in the final decision-making process on Deshaun Watson's suspension. Which, I will emphasize this again, the NFL doesn't have to only use their own investigation for the legal process. If the NFL wasn't having a successful investigation, they could have used data that was publicly available in depositions. They could have used data that had existed in the criminal court's case. It's different in the collective bargaining agreement and what they agreed to in this case, but again, the NFL is just making it up as they go. This is a case where you just can come forward and say, if we're trying to push, if we want to know what happened and not that we have to try and figure out what happened, if we want to know what happened in this case, we can use evidence that is already available 
Instead, the NFL decided that their investigation, which again was a sham investigation that ended up only interviewing 10 people and ended up having four women's testimonies actually be used in the decision-making process, well, that's obviously not going to take into account all of the circumstantial evidence of two dozen plus women and, and more who have come forward who aren't pursuing lawsuits against Watson, who have detailed their stories in the past, and we have circumstantial evidence to suggest that Watson is culpable in a lot of these cases. And settling in court, if you've heard depositions, many of them are included in the Real Sports with Bryant Gumbel piece. There is so much circumstantial evidence that Deshaun Watson committed sexual crimes and engaged in sexually predatory behavior with a good majority of these women. And the fact that only four of them are being used in the NFL investigation is only because that's the rules the NFL just decided to make up and use based on precedent that has existed over the last 10 years of 10 years ago, we had no personal conduct policy and we only gave Ray Rice a two game suspension and ah shit, we can't do that anymore. So now we just got to come up with a personal conduct policy on the fly and Roger Goodell gets all the power, but now Roger Goodell doesn't get the power. And so we're changing all of that. But again, if your investigation is not the most efficient form of finding, collecting information, then use the information that's publicly available if you want to find out the truth. That's the part where this ends up going apart, is that the NFL did not want to find the truth, and they end up being the people who are like, we want a much stronger suspension because we know what the public reaction is going to be to only having a six-game suspension or only having an eight-game suspension. We know that these infractions are totally unprecedented. We know it's worth what the NFL was arguing is an indefinite suspension or a year-long suspension plus a fine, or as it was reported yesterday by, I think, Greg Rosenthal, I apologize if I don't have the sourcing correct, is that the NFL in uh, negotiating a settlement with the Players Association was saying the best we could do is 12 games plus an $8 million fine. And the NFL didn't have the leverage in this situation because Sue L. Robinson was going to rule somewhere between a two and eight game suspension from the very beginning because that is the precedent that had been set in the past. And according to the rules of the investigation and the rules of collective bargaining, she was only allowed to use four of the testimonies in her decision-making process because the NFL only interviewed 10 people and six of them were deemed not credible in violating the personal conduct policy. And so I want to read the conclusion that was drawn by Sue L. Robinson in this case. And this is a direct quote from the, um, from the original PDF of Sue L. Robinson's suspension ruling. It's 16 pages long. This is the last two pages. The NFL may be a, quote, forward-facing organization, but it is not necessarily a forward-looking one. Just as the NFL responded to violent conduct after a public outcry, this case related to the Deshaun Watson case and the Ray Rice case, so it seems the NFL is responding to yet another public outcry about Mr. Watson's conduct. At least in the former situation, the policy was changed and applied proactively, that referencing the Ray Rice case. Here, the NFL is attempting to impose a more dramatic shift in its culture without the benefit of fair notice to and consistency of consequence for those in the NFL subject to the policy. Looking at the record when compared to relevant precedent and looking forward to how this disciplinary determination might be used in the future, I find the most appropriate landing place to be as follows. Mr. Watson is hereby suspended for six regular season games without pay. Although this is the most significant punishment ever imposed on an NFL player for allegations of nonviolent sexual conduct, Mr. Watson's pattern of conduct is more egregious than any reviewed before in the NFL. I'm going to pause right there and come back here because I want to focus on one point here. Again, the most significant punishment ever imposed for nonviolent sexual conduct and more egregious conduct than any before reviewed by the NFL. Reminder... She only has four cases to work with. Just four cases signifies the most egregious conduct of any before reviewed in the NFL. Just four cases and 10 depositions, four cases being brought 
for disciplinary ruling. Just four cases signifies the most egregious behavior of any reviewed by the NFL. Again, 20-plus women filed civil suits against Watson, and 30 pursued lawsuits against the Houston Texans. And we know more people have brought information forward against Watson in details reported by Jenny Vrentas of Sports Illustrated and New York Times. We know that this is the case, and with just four as the precedent, it is the most significant suspension of any reviewed by the NFL under the personal conduct policy for nonviolent sexual conduct. Which, to me, signifies if six games was the precedent for just four cases, four of the 30 cases, and again, they, they reviewed 10, so you could say 10 of the 30 cases. If six games was the precedent for four of the cases, what would it have been if we had actually used all of the data that was available in the Watson suspension? Returning back to Sue L. Robinson's verdict. So, right before, Mr. Watson is hereby suspended six regular season games without pay. Although this is the most significant punishment ever imposed on an NFL player for allegations of nonviolent sexual conduct, Watson's pattern of behavior is more egregious than any before reviewed by the NFL. Recognizing that the only discipline mentioned in the collective bargaining agreement is a fine or suspension, I nevertheless believe it appropriate for Mr. Watson to limit his massage therapy to club-directed sessions and club-approved massage therapists for the duration of his career, and so impose this mandate as a condition to his reinstatement. Mr. Watson is to have no adverse involvement with law enforcement and must not commit any additional violations of the policy. The parties have three business days to appeal the disciplinary determination. Respectfully submitted, the Honorary Sue L. Robinson. So, that's the determination and the conclusion that is drawn from this case. And the way that Sue L. Robinson is ruling in this respect is that Deshaun Watson's conduct does not fall in the category of violent conduct that would require the minimum six-game suspension. And it's also undisputed that the prior cases of nonviolent sexual assault have resulted in discipline far less severe. The precedent that she cited in that case, I'm going back further into the case. I just wanted to read the conclusion first and foremost. The precedent that she cites in this case was one case of nonviolent sexual misconduct from Jameis Winston. If you'll remember back when he played on Tampa, Jameis Winston had a three-game suspension for groping an Uber driver, and that was when Ryan Fitzpatrick took over as the starting quarterback, and then Fitzpatrick started after Jameis got back, and then they went back and forth, and then Jameis played one more season in Tampa. This was the 2018 season when Jameis Winston got a three-game suspension for one count of nonviolent sexual misconduct. And so for four counts of nonviolent sexual misconduct, Deshaun Watson got six games. We know that Deshaun Watson has alleged close to 30 different cases of nonviolent sexual misconduct. And those are just the ones that we know. Again, if the NFL investigation had done deep investigating on this, investigating that was uncovered by Jenny Vrentas of Sports Illustrated and, and the New York Times, the NFL could have ruled with more evidence to back them up and included a suspension that many people were arguing for, which was a full year suspension or waiting a year and letting the process drag out so you could collect more information, not rushing the investigation, putting Deshaun Watson on the exempt list for the 2022 season, then going to the criminal court or then going to the civil court process, because again, the civil court was going to rule in 2023, had the cases not been settled out of court, you could have let that go into 2023, collected information, and then decided to rule on, with all of the circumstantial evidence, and you're looking at 16, 20 cases that could have been used as circumstantial evidence, ruling on either a full year suspension, an indefinite suspension like the NFL was initially pursuing, Instead, the case only used four of the uh, four of the sexual misconduct cases that have been brought against Watson in making a six-game suspension ruling. And the NFL 
can now step in and adjust the suspension. If so, the appeal goes to Roger Goodell, who can change the punishment based on whatever precedent he wants to set. Because again, it's collectively bargained, but everyone's just making up the rules with this. It's a collectively bargained process. The NFL's sham investigation only produced four cases with which to rule on. And as a result, Deshaun Watson got six games. And therefore, I don't think the NFL is even going to appeal in this case. Maybe they do it and throw on a a, a fine or a suspension. Ultimately, it's not going to be a dramatic shift in the personal conduct policy. And perhaps because they were still investigating, the NFL will decide to to get involved and set their own punishment or their own precedent, much to the detriment of the NFL Players Association. Because do not get this wrong, the NFL Players Association won in this case. They won by getting a six-game suspension. He was facing, if this had been the old process, if this had been Roger Goodell is the arbiter instead of Sue L. Robinson, Deshaun Watson is getting that full-year suspension and getting the $8 million fine. And maybe he still gets it because it goes to the appeals process and Roger Goodell acts as the appealer there. I'm not sure exactly how that's going to work out. We'll talk more about it as the process goes on. Ultimately, the NFL can step in and adjust the suspension. But what the NFL has proven so far in this case is that the NFL let Deshaun Watson get away with it. And this is the thing that I had said from the very beginning is the NFL... Has the, the the NFL has total power in this case. Do they let Deshaun Watson get away with it? We talked about that when he got traded to Cleveland. Was, hey, Deshaun Watson just got more guaranteed money than any player in the NFL. And Deshaun Watson is going to go to the Cleveland Browns and he's going to make more money than anyone in the NFL and he's going to use that money to pay out the civil lawsuits, which he ultimately did months later. The NFL can let them get away with it or the NFL can step in and engage in some sort of punishment. And ultimately, the NFL decided to let them get away with it. Because what we were talking about originally was exempt listing Deshaun Watson for the 2022 season, engaging in a full investigation, or just using the data that already existed. You don't have to do your own investigation. You can just use the data that already exists from the investigation in the criminal court and in the civil court. You can just use that data that already exists. And instead, the NFL, as soon as 20 cases were settled, the NFL went to the appeals process, and only four of the 10 cases that were even brought forth were used, and ultimately it led to a six-game suspension on four counts of nonviolent sexual misconduct. The NFL went from, we can exempt list him for a year and actually pursue an investigation to, by October 31st, he's going to play football. And that seems like the NFL letting them get away with it because it was a sham investigation that could have done more and ultimately didn't. And what the NFL Players Association was arguing in defense of Deshaun Watson, which again, they represent Deshaun Watson, they have to defend Deshaun Watson. The Players Association argued that, hey, there should be a zero-game punishment because look at Dan Snyder, look at Jerry Jones, look at Robert Kraft. They have crimes against women. In the case of uh, Robert Kraft, the crimes part was thrown out, but but, uh, ultimately he ended up settling for smaller amounts. But Robert Kraft and Dan Snyder and Jerry Jones have sexual assault and sexual misconduct on their names, and they have faced no significant punishment from the NFL. Dan Snyder got $10 million for workplace misconduct, and the NFL investigation was never released. Dan Snyder has two counts of sexual assault charged against him, one back in 2010 and one more recently. I forgot the date on it, but we have two charges of sexual assault against Dan Snyder. And there has been no punishment for those cases specifically. And that was a good argument to make, although it's not an argument that's... It's an argument to make when you're talking about this made-up process that the NFL has created. But ultimately, that would be a two-wrongs-make-a-right situation. Like, it's easy for the NFL to over-punish players and never punish the people in power. This is a tried-and-true example of American history, which is... The people who are totally exempt from the laws want to overpunish people who are exempt to the laws. Donald Trump overpunished people who break the law 
while you yourself are totally immune to any laws and ever facing a single moment of jail time because you are rich and powerful. NFL owners are incredibly rich and incredibly powerful, worth $100 billion in the entertainment economy. $100 billion in entertainment. And the NFL is totally exempt from, and those owners are totally exempt from any sort of punishment because they've created a system in which they are exempt from punishment, but players are not exempt from punishment, and people who are employees and labor are not exempt from punishment. And so the Players Association argued that point, and in the grand scheme of things, wins because Deshaun Watson is underpunished in this case. And they got their way in this case, which feels like a two rights, or sorry, a two wrongs don't make a right situation. Is It's missing the point of, hey, Jerry Jones and Dan Snyder and Robert Kraft, uh, Jerry Richardson sold his team, but like Jerry Richardson had a whole lot of sexual misconduct and sexual assault on his name. And he ultimately sold his team as a result of it, but ultimately Jerry Richardson, you can include in this mix too, don't have any form of significant punishment. And as a result, players should be exempt from said punishment. And that's a case of, no, those people should be held accountable for their behaviors towards women, just as the players should be held accountable for their behaviors towards women, especially in the case of Deshaun Watson, which is totally unprecedented. There is no precedent for what we are talking about with the Deshaun Watson case. And so the NFL Players Association wins, relatively speaking, in that case by the fact that Watson only gets a six-game suspension and the fact that they released that statement we talked about on Monday about how they were encouraging the NFL to honor the decision of Sue L. Robinson. Yeah, because they knew that the NFL would appeal that suspension because they were arguing for a year long and you have to appeal for reinstatement and or apply for reinstatement, not appeal for reinstatement. You have to apply for reinstatement after a year and they were arguing zero and it ended up being six. That's a win for the Players Association. And the NFL can step in and change that process because they have the power to. It's just whether or not they want to. And it does by this point, they've messed up so much stuff that even if they change the ruling in the next month with the appeals process, it's not going to undo the damage of they did not care. The NFL let Deshaun Watson get away with this. They let the Cleveland Browns get away with this. They let the Houston Texans get away with this without punishment that adequately reflects the totally unprecedented situation of crimes against women. And again, from the very beginning, the most important part is I hope that whatever the punishment ends up being is going to be some form of accountability for those women. And based on the precedent even set by the NFL, which again is not a great precedent, they only considered four of the cases in making this ruling, which is a decision the NFL made when they decided that they were going to conclude their investigation as soon as Deshaun Watson settled out of court. Despite the fact that they ran a sham investigation in the first place that led to Tony Busby and the women deciding not to engage with the NFL and not engage with NFL investigators because they were victim-blaming and doing the investigation because they had to, not because they actually wanted to find the truth. Again, that's according to Tony Busby in the Real Sports with Bryant Gumbel piece. And so everything's been botched so far to this point with the NFL that making a new ruling that adds time to Watson's suspension doesn't fix the problem that they've already set. The NFL has set this precedent now with this case. The NFL has decided that we don't want to fully investigate this case. This case, we don't want to find out the truth. And perhaps, again, they make a lot of money on the idea of Deshaun Watson. They're going to make a lot of money from Deshaun Watson. So it does work against their interests. It works against their business interests to suspend Deshaun Watson longer. The only way to change that is if the consumer decides that this is such an egregious offense that they will stop paying the NFL money. And if, 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 if wow, let's try that again. If it affects the NFL's bottom line, then you are going to see change in the behaviors of the people at the top. If, if accountability for them means accountability for Deshaun Watson, they will change the system. The thing for the NFL is, 
hey, we want over accountability for the players and no accountability for the people in power, which by the way, again, as I said earlier, that's how America works. People in power want tons of accountability for the common person, but no accountability for them because they are immune to any form of accountability. That can be people who are rich or powerful. Deshaun Watson happens to be both in this respect because he is worth a billion dollars to the NFL. He's worth a billion dollars. And because of that, Deshaun Watson is going to have his name protected, just like Ben Roethlisberger. And Deshaun Watson is going to face only a six-game suspension, just like Ben Roethlisberger, when Ben Roethlisberger was accused of rape in 2007 or 8, but it ultimately was served in 2009. And so you're looking at the same pattern of behavior happen all over again. This was a totally unprecedented situation where the NFL only considered four of the cases just because that's what the rules said. They made up the rules. It's not a legal precedent. They made up their own rules in this case. So again, from the very beginning, and now that this case is coming towards a close, from the very beginning, the NFL can let Deshaun Watson get away with it or they cannot. And they have laid down their sword on punishing Deshaun Watson because, according to the rules, Suell Robinson was only allowed to consider four cases in ruling for, again, the most unprecedented punishment for nonviolent sexual misconduct, according to the NFL Collective Bargaining Agreement. It's, again, it's a historic decision, and yet it was so little of what could have actually been levied against Watson as a form of accountability for his behavior. And on that front, the NFL let them get away with it. The NFL let Deshaun Watson get away with it. And I said when they went to the appeals process in our June 27th podcast, hey, NFL, when you condense a, a years-long process into a month or into two weeks, there's much more room for you to mess up the details. And lo and behold, the NFL kind of messed up the details because even among the 10 cases that they had, they could only use four of them in making their ruling because they were deemed to be either not credible or they were deemed to not violate the personal conduct policy. And so among the four cases that actually got used, you got a six-game suspension, which Sue L. Robinson is arguing. Most significant case, there is no type of precedent for that behavior while only citing four cases and 10 accusations brought against Watson, only citing four cases and saying it's still the most unprecedented situation for nonviolent sexual misconduct in the history of the NFL Players Association, or the, the history of the NFL's personal conduct policy. And six games was still light because we know how many accusations were out there. We know that only four cases were considered, and there were 20-something available, and... Again, the NFL could have put him on the exempt list. The NFL could have let the investigation gone out. They could have gone to the Players Association and negotiated using more using resources from outside of their own investigation to rule on this case. And even if the NFL's Players Association said no, they could have spent more resources to investigate. They could have actually cared about talking to these women the first time they had access because... Again, the, the women and Tony Busby just stopped cooperating after a while because they were victim blaming and just doing an investigation because they wanted to, or not because they, they felt they had to, not because they were trying to pursue any kind of truth. And that sucks because it was going to be a form of accountability. It looked like the NFL was going to actually investigate this, use 20 plus cases to form a punishment, and they were not going to let Watson sign a contract with the Cleveland Browns where he was going to walk away with a punishment that he he was not going to be able to just have a, a $1 million contract on his first year because it was all going to get suspended and banned. Like, they they the Browns had time to prepare for this. Watson had time to prepare for this. And the NFL just said, okay, you got us. You got us. You, you negotiated a contract where he's only going to lose $300,000. We're going to try and negotiate a fine. We're going to try and negotiate a 12-game suspension. But damn it, you got us. You got us, and we're going to give it up. And that is a truly, truly stupefying case because, again, this was a sports story for a generation. It still is a sports story for a generation. 
And the NFL could have gotten so much more in terms of accountability, and and they did not. The NFL let them get away with it because he's only because unless they pursue an appeals process, and even if they appeal, there's there's only so much they can do. It's not going to go from six games to an indefinite suspension unless the NFL says we got to govern on public relations with this one. It's not going to go from six games to a year with Goodell. The difference is going to be between I assume the difference is going to be between six and ten or six and a $5 million fine instead of six and a $10 million, or six games and no fines. It is messed up that the NFL let them get away with it in that respect. And why would you only use four of the cases in your ruling? Because that's what the collective bargaining agreement says. Do a better investigation or just use data that exists in the criminal process. Use data that existed in the civil court process. Use Watson's depositions. Use the women's depositions in that court case. And the NFL just decided, nope, we'd rather just do whatever investigation we can, use that data, and get the suspension. And that stinks. That stinks that they only used four cases in making the ruling. So... The NFL, again, I've said it from the very beginning, the NFL has the total power to either let Watson get away with it or they could have, they they can just let it happen and be like, ah, shucks, you played us. Darn, Deshaun, you, you got us. Cleveland, you got us. You negotiate a new contract. It's only $1 million the first year. If we suspend him for a full season, then the contract just gets kicked down the road a year and he doesn't lose any money. He just loses a year of his career. Gosh darn, you got us. And the NFL, again, they, they did the same thing. They they just said, ah, shucks, you got us. They didn't even want to fight it. They just, they laid down their, they laid down their sword and said, you got us. And they only used four of the cases in their investigation because the investigation was a sham. And I feel bad for the women. I feel bad for the women who brought accusations against Deshaun Watson because maybe six games is viewed as a form of accountability, and that's the thing that should matter more than anything else is how those women feel about accountability for Deshaun Watson and, again, unprecedented sexually predatory behavior. I hope that those women got some form of closure out of a six-game suspension and losing $300,000, which, again, is less than what he possibly settled with each of those women. He could have settled with each of those women for more than $300,000. We don't know the data, we know it was between a hundred thousand and a million, and we did. We don't know anything other than that. And maybe a six-game suspension and three hundred thousand dollars is some form of closure and accountability for those women. And if not, then that really sucks even more, because they could have gotten so much more accountability. They could have gotten more than than that, and it's it's unfortunate. It is unfortunate that Deshaun Watson will walk away from this for getting paid for a full year, getting paid $38 million to not play football for a year, and then losing six games and $300,000, while also being rewarded with what was before a $180 million contract that is now a $253 million contract. Getting to be traded to a team he wanted to play for and getting $75 more million fully guaranteed. I feel bad for those women, and I hope that this ruling ends up being some form of accountability for them, and I don't think that's what most people are looking at in regards to the decision-making process. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. We have episodes every single day, Monday through Friday, as well as Wired Up on Sundays, I appreciate each and every one of you for your continued support of the show. We will have more around this story as the appeals process develops. Thank you for your time, everybody, and as always, take it easy. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.